Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Andy Mahoney from FlexTrade. How are you? Good, good. Thank you very much for having me. Listen, it's great to have you on. And uh, uh, listen, it's been been some uh, great stuff that I've been hearing about the business uh, so far. It sounds like you guys have had a good year, um, despite everything, despite all, all that we've been going through over the course of it. Um, tell us a little bit about FlexTrade. Tell us about what you've been up to and uh, and the journey and your journey in the company, because I know you've been there for a while and your, your role yeah. has changed and developed a little bit. Tell us about that journey. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with um, I'll start with myself and then we'll, we'll talk about FlexTrade. So my name's Andy Mahoney, as you say. Uh, my current role is Managing Director of the London office of FlexTrade, which is about uh, about 100 people. Uh, my career started pretty much at FlexTrade. I had a brief period where I worked in a visual effects studio um, and then went, came into finance straight from there. Um, I started as a developer back in 2004, uh, ended up running the implementation and support team. Then I left for two years went to Goldman to run the Ready Plus product. And then after two, after two year, two and a half years of that, came back to FlexTrade, which is a good eight years ago now. Um, started in a sales role, and then uh, eventually, as of three or four months ago, I've, I've been made managing director. So it's my responsibility to run the London office. Um, so yeah, FlexTrade is a business. Uh, as you say, we're, we're having a, a great year. It's It's been a, an unusual year, is an understatement of the year. Um, yeah, we, we basically started the year, obviously, with lockdown. From, from our perspective, there were, there were a few challenges there. Our key sales pitch or our key kind of approach to client, uh, talking to clients is very hands-on. Like, we love to travel. It's one of the things that um, I think we pride ourselves as a business. We're always there when you need us. Um, we have this process, like, for example, when a client goes live, where we call it early care, which is essentially a client will have a FlexTrade technical person on site during go live that can sit in a corner if they want, or they can sit on the desk uh, and always be um, kind of there to answer any hand on, hands-on questions or any questions that need technical expertise. Even if they don't get used, we like to just put someone on site. Equally with the sales process, we're constantly traveling like four to five times a week to go and see clients, go and see prospects uh, um, and, and visit conferences, et cetera. Um, and obviously with, with lockdown, that's all had to change. It was a frightening experience going into lockdown obviously um, experiencing work from home for the very uh, first time. So I, I had always maintained I didn't think I could do my job from home. Um, and, and now it's it's just become the norm, as they say. So, I mean, we had to adapt. Initially, we sat down just before lockdown and said, what do we need to prioritize? What can't fail? Like, what do we need to uh, continue? So there's things like infrastructure operations, um, support, maintenance, new development. We could, we said, we could potentially put that on hold if we desperately needed to. But it turns out actually everything was was reasonably smoothly smooth. Um, the first week or so, there were teething problems with cameras and audio and things like that. But um, we've actually taken a handful of clients live um, and, and actually gone from initial discussions to contract signature all through lockdown. So um, although it has, I would say it's probably changed the way the process works. Um, it's it's and, and changed our, our kind of approach to how we we talk to clients and how we interact with clients. It's um, yeah, it's not led up. It was uh, it's a very been very interesting year and a very productive year for us. Uh, I think the key key one for me was a, a successful go live with a, a large asset manager we have, where they kind of they they were expecting the hands on the the person to kind of come and sit with them, and they were very keen on that approach. But we did it all remotely. We kind of left a WebEx running all day with a, a video camera on the 
on the person to see that they were still there. Um, and then as and when the client needed some help, they basically just picked up the mic and said, can you just, how do I do this? How do I do that? So um, yeah, it's it's been a, a very interesting year. Um, I, I am looking forward to getting back to the office though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of uh, improvisation and adaptability has been a sort of key feature of all of this, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I love the fact, as you say, that people have been able to, to sort of still uh, get things through signature and go live and, and everything and then just uh, looking at it and saying right how can we still keep that sort of you know great customer service and interaction because you, you know as you say look when you've got people there physically on site and and so much uh you know one-to-one -one, you know hand holding it's, it's a really important thing that that continues to maintain that because i've seen so many companies that sort of are almost punished by the success of their sales team if you see what i mean overselling and then they're not able to fulfill with the implementation and follow up there afterwards it's been a a big theme of, of of you know the vendor space in trading technology for donkey's yeah. years and i think the companies that have, you know like you who've had that longevity and that sort of strength and, and uh, brand reputation have generally been the ones who've been able to make sure that the post sales is as important as the sales sales behind it to create that great customer experience on the other side to have to completely revolutionize that <laughs> there's a challenge right and, and fair play to you for being able to uh, to get that right as well what are some of the learns you've had from that yeah, I mean, the the key thing is <clears throat> just just to your point about our, our longevity. We've we've been around twenty five. I think next year is our twenty five year anniversary or something. So we we've got the longevity, but there's no getting away from it. FlexTrade is a, a, a kind of customized solution. It's the the clue is in the name. It's a flexible system. So um, while some vendors might have an off the shelf system that kind of it, what you see is what you get, and you don't really get much more than that. FlexTrade has a base setup, and then it's always it grows with you. It evolves with you. So Naturally, with that, there are complexities, there's, there's nuances that clients need to know. So um, really adapting to be able to, to, rather than sort of having to create huge amounts of documentation that no one will ever read, we just kind of get the people on site and get the, the person that generally configured the system is going to be the one that's, that's kind of supporting you. Um, but yeah, the key, the key learning for me is really, um, I mean, the, the future is definitely a hybrid model in terms of work from home versus working from the office. Um, from a personal perspective, I live uh, a good 30, 35 minutes outside of um, outside of Houston. The fact that I don't have to travel to work or uh, don't have to potentially in the future e even go in five days a week is a, is a massive relief to me. I feel I'm not any less productive. I think the team are extremely good at just getting on a call, getting on a video conference. Um, so I think the key thing is we don't have to exist in this five-day-a-week world where we all come to the office. We've even had requests for people wanting to move to different regions of the UK. And I think that's that's massively interesting to see mm. um, that kind of potential happening in the business because um, from, a, from a productivity perspective, we are a technology shop and most of the technology uh, is development and implementation. Um, and as long as people are at the end of the phone line and uh, I don't necessarily think they, they have to be in London. Um, however, we do wanna maintain that high touch service. We wanna be able to go and visit clients, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be it's sort of sitting at an office in London, in the centre of London, congested, etc. Um, Twenty tw uh, the, the whole the whole week. I think there's definite flexibility there. Um, and I, I guess the other thing is just the move to the cloud, like the the ability to the things that have kind of um, been highlighted as difficult when we move to this work from home environment is physical stuff that resides in the office um, is sometimes difficult to access. Whereas you have things like in AWS or in cloud services. Um, that, that really you can access at the drop of a hat from anywhere and it's super easy. And um, that's one of the things that I'm personally trying to get us uh, more excited about is just the, 
the ambition in the cloud. So we have mm -hmm. our own hosting within Equinix LD4 data center and, and other Equinix data centers across the globe. But we've also started prototyping in Amazon Web Services using AppStream um, to deliver our, our application because um, ultimately that is the future, like not having any kind of physical presence and this physical presence being rather ethereal. Like I, I saw something from Microsoft where they'd sunk a, a data center to the bottom of the ocean to keep it cool. And it was like, your data might end up residing at the bottom of the Atlantic and that's okay. Like you need to accept that that's okay. So yeah, just making sure that all these things can be delivered over the cloud with one, no single point of failure, not having some physical box sitting somewhere that is somehow dependent. This has just highlighted the, the need for a, a full cloud strategy and, and embracing the cloud. Um, and I feel like a lot of people have been talking about cloud for, for some time. Obviously, it's not a new topic, but um, what we've done is <clears throat> using our FlexNow application, which is a Greenfields EMS we started writing a few years ago. We fully embraced onto AWS. It's completely scalable. It's completely um, based in the cloud. It's not a, an application that you've shifted from on-prem to the cloud. It is truly cloud native. Um, not necessarily that clients massively care about that, but I think it's important from a resilience mm. perspective, a performance perspective, and a, and a business perspective as well. I think that sort of leads on to a really interesting point about um, you, know, you, you mentioned their business resilience, and this has been a this has been a broadside that actually most companies have been able to navigate relatively easily because of technologies that, you know, such as cloud and tech, you know, if this, I, I, you know, I often think if this was, if this was 10 years ago, it'd have been a completely different <laughs> ball game. Um, and, uh, and God, you know, everyone would have adapted and, and there would have been, you know, something, but it, it just wouldn't have been able to work in the same sort of way. And financial services in particular have been you know, incredibly robust around all of this, but there have been companies there that have had the right sort of tech strategy that have given them massive trading advantage, like significant advantage all the way mm -hmm. through that. And the disruption was far less than those companies who've potentially been a little bit more uh, standoffish, again, particularly around um, you know, the cloud. So they were having to, to sort of rapidly, rapidly scale and fix problems that were already there. And there were companies that sort of seamlessly moved into it and saying, we're already you know, in this, this, sort of, this sort of position because of their you know, tech ready, readiness for, for such an environment. Or, for, or such a thing and there, there will definitely be but you know whilst, whilst we've gone through this and we want to look positively and optimistically at the horizon with everything that's going to be uh, much sunnier in, in, uh, tomorrow with, with all of this without question uh, there'll be another bump in the road and, and you know we could you know in, in pandemic cycles that we've probably seen with you know SARS and everything out and you know that we've seen coming through Asia that, that, that this isn't likely to be a, a you know one-off um, mm -hmm. over the course of the next five ten years so be it five years seven years as usual economic cycles go ten years or whatever whatever we might be looking at something else will come up to disrupt this sort of thing talk to me about how how companies can make sure that they are fixing ahead of problems rather than having to sort of uh, you know fix the outboard motor in the middle of the storm yeah. halfway across the Atlantic <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a very apt analogy. Where um, at the start of pan the pandemic, you don't want to be starting a new project. Um, you yeah. don't want to be like you're in an unprecedented time. Everyone's working from home. All your project managers, business analysts, uh, everyone is kind of in a state of flux. Um, so we did see uh, during the start of the pandemic some of the projects that were on on ongoing kind of slow down because people were like, oh, we've got bigger things to worry about. But once people got over the hump of kind of, okay, everything's okay, everything's working from home, you kind of realize that if you've got a good front office trading technology strategy in place and you've made a good a few good decisions over the past few years, there was nothing really to worry about. Yes, there was more kind of, uh, more kind of work from home. There was more 
complexity involved in how you actually distribute applications to traders, uh, performance things. But I think those that have made good decisions in the past had nothing to worry about. And I think um, to your point, yeah, it's 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 you can't hesitate with these kind of decisions because um, you never know what's going to be around around the corner. I mean, a good example is um, something I've been quite passionate about for, for many years is the open architecture approach and the interoperability uh, mm. approach of things like FTC3 uh, with the implementation from OpenFin, Glue42, Finsemble, etc. Um, you think about a trader's home PC. Uh, it's probably unlikely to have the raft of eight or 10 or 12 monitors that they might have uh, in the office. So things like interoperability and not just having one static application that doesn't that talks to another one that um, that you have to copy and paste. Like the, the operational risk involved in having someone work from home is high enough without having to worry about them copying and pasting between these legacy applications that they've had on their, their desktop and all configured in their various different monitors all, all the way they like them. So um, I think hopefully if, if this pandemic brings anything, it will be a focus on making sure that the layer of application like the GUI, as they say, um, or the user experience is seamless for the traders. So it's it's whether they work from home, whether they work from the office with the different screen layouts, with the different uh, architecture setups, they should be able to communicate throughout between applications and have everything controlled from a central cockpit rather than um, having to, to manually process stuff and manually copy and paste stuff. So we definitely think that that's, that's an important thing for people to start embracing. And it's not something that you can kind of say, well, let's do a little bit with, with FTC3. It's like, it's a full technology, tra trading technology approach. It's saying that, I want my applications to talk to each other through a normalized, sanitized bus so that if I change my TCA provider or my pre-trade provider or any of my other providers that I don't need to set change that central call or change any of the other applications. Um, it's, it's really important as people go through these process, go through this kind of bumpy period and as you say, resurgence of other or potentially resurgence of other viruses or a second wave or the, the third wave, we need to have these things sorted. So it's, it's making sure that the trader can operate as simply, efficiently, and uh, from a risk perspective, as, as minimal risk as possible in terms of rekeying at home as they can at work, given the, the different technology that they might have in, in, the, in, the, in the two workplaces. Interoperability is a really interesting one because, it, and I've said it right for the first time, I think, in all of these. In <laughs> I gave you a, I give you a prep. I told you how it was meant to be. <laughs> it's one of those things, and I know it's been sort of high on your your agenda, the whole open architecture aspect that you've just been uh, sort of talking through there. And I think this is something which is, um, you know, absolutely plays to common, you know, common sense for me. The, the sort of playing in, in deep specialists in areas because we're talking about really complex complex things and the, the sort of enterprise businesses being all things to all people and and particularly sort of solving it through acquisition and, and these sort of frankenstein's monsters that we've seen at various different stages of businesses that cover everything through through you know interoperability through acquisition and you know, i guess is ultimately something which has been happening how's that benefit um you know the the end user at the moment because that seems to be the big winner for, you know, from it whilst yeah. there's companies there that are now far more easy or able to get through procurement processes that have probably stemmed that and stifled, it made it more difficult for companies as, as specialists to get uh, taken in uh, you know, under the umbrellas of the major institutions for, for many years because of you know just hugely overly complicated procurement processes mm -hmm. and such like what's 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 the chat what's the sea change that has allowed that sort of efficiency to really benefit the end user and and and, and allow companies to thrive yeah, I think your point about acquisition and merger is um, 
quite quite well uh, well timed uh, given certain news that's just come out in the last few days. But I mean, we, we've seen it again and again: a merger and an acquisition. Um, it doesn't really change anything. You you might have two two products that are somewhat compatible or somewhat what um, sort of related to each other, and on paper, it makes sense for those two firms to to collaborate or to integrate in a way that will provide a seamless user experience. Uh, in, in a way that kind of provides that one system. The problem is that's not how acquisitions ha work. Typically, mm -hmm. they're like, okay, you have, as an example, you've, you've bought a PMS, you're an OMS provider, you've bought a PMS, um, and you say, okay, well, this, this should work, right? Um, I mean, it, it, and some demo to some uh, executive that says, well, they seem to talk to each other, what's the problem? Like, why do we need to invest a whole bunch of money um, sort of integrating them tighter? And the, the problem is that the tech spend to actually re-architect the platform or to build the platform in a way that the users want is just too high. So people mm. end up with, as you say, these Frankenstein systems or Franken systems in a way that <clears throat> they pretty much talk to each other the way that they talked to each other prior to the acquisition, but it's just now sold as a bundle. So people are getting stuff that they could have get previously, but with one technology provider, which is, is I guess, a benefit. But really, it doesn't actually solve the problem that people are looking for. Like, I see. I don't see like anything dramatic happening in the next few years, but I do think in the next five years, I would hope for a world where actually a lot of these technology providers have realized that they do one thing particularly well. Like we know we're the best mm. EMS and OMS providers. There's no question about that. We we know what our edge is. We know why we're good, and we know why clients choose us. And you know, it's what what we are focusing on is we know that EMS and OMS isn't the end of the world. We know there's the PMS. We know there's TCA. We know there's other bits, but Rather than trying to say you must take our TCA, you must take our other other systems, we we invest in them. We try and do our best. We try and find a niche. But actually, if a client wants to go and find another TCA provider or another PMS, for example, they should absolutely be allowed to. And to try and put artificial barriers in front of them, whether in terms of like a strategic partnership saying we'll only integrate with these guys or we'll only do this, it's so backward. Um, the future to me is like each of these very strong technology providers providing the technology that they're good at and giving up the user interface. This might seem like a weird thing for a technology provider to say, but it's okay not to own the user interface. The key is the guts behind it, like the API layer, the, the normalization. So my view is in, in five years time, the GUI will largely be irrelevant. It will be a set of UX engineers that are like, you'll have a third party uh, or a user experience design agency that will use tools like Adaptable Blotter, OpenFin, uh, Finsample, Blue42 to basically figure out which bits of which vendors they need to use and essentially present a user interface that's coherent and consistent based on the user's desires. Now, the reason that couldn't happen previously is because with a tightly coupled user interface to the back end, it's very difficult to make one change on the front end that will affect, because it might affect lots of different things. With a normalized sanitized API, you can make very quick, very flexible changes on your front end to a way that allows new workflows without having to worry exactly which vendor is providing which bit of technology in the background. So yeah, we're, we're very passionate about that. As I said, uh, we feel we're the strongest EMS and OMS provider. We have all the technology, but I feel like the, the, the benefit really comes when you look at um, the user experience as being something that is very close to the user rather than being focused in technology. Not, I have the best GUI because I've got a .NET GUI or a Java GUI or, a, or any kind of GUI. It's like saying, I will provide the best user experience because I'm going to talk to the user and use the APIs that are at my disposal to make those decisions. Um, yeah. So I think if anything, um, 
I'm really keen for us to focus even even heavier on the EMS and OMS space rather than divest any further, just purely because there's still a lot to do in the EMS and OMS space. There's problems that haven't been solved. There's things that we need to work on. So to try and uh, become like, as you alluded to, like this enterprise software provider that tries to be everything to all people, it's it's just, it's not the way of the future. Like the future is being able to talk to talk to other applications on your desktop seamlessly. And the sad thing is, this has been done in every other industry so many years ago. There's existing APIs, there's existing frameworks to do these things. It's not like you load up, I mean, Word and Excel are probably a bad example because they're made by the same provider, but it's not like those things aren't allowed to talk to each other or you can't copy and paste between Word and Excel. This is simple stuff. Um, so yeah, if uh, I'm very keen on the interoperability side of things. And to me, I want to be in a competitive landscape where I'm 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 competing and winning business because I'm the best EMS and best OMS, not because of some alliance or partnership or something, some business reason that someone's being forced to use it. Like I want clients to have the best EMS they that they want that they want and they have demand for, rather than being kind of strong armed into into taking something just because it's it's somehow integrated. And because uh, as you say, it just ends up with Frankenstein systems rather than having best of breed and, and it's uh yeah it's, it's not optimal for sure yeah yeah i love i love that best of breed i love the passion actually about you talking about that and and, and uh I, i've i've been you know a big fan of uh, and and you know, student of i guess of the oms ems space for years since uh yeah probably going back to mid 2000s when i first started you know uh, placing people into that that sort of space and it's sort of grown um yeah, exponentially we've seen various different people and various different providers you know with, within that space i'm really interested about something you just said there about you know there's still loads of problems to uh, you know, to solve what are you seeing as the customer problems and where's you know where where are the um you know, where are the opportunities that you think you can uh, add, add some real value to over the next year or so i i realized as i said that i was like he's going to ask me about that and i can't tell him <laughs> um no there's a, there's a few things i don't think there are any um they're not any secret in the industry. I think they're, they're things that, that everyone's trying to solve. So um, the first big one <clears throat> is broker algo distribution. It's a massive frustration to everyone. Like every every vendor in the world has a process for onboarding algos uh, with brokers, but I still feel, and we've got it down pat, like we can do it super quickly and I'm sure our competitors can do it super quickly, but there's still some involvement from the vendor when actually it's not like every time you upgrade your Google Chrome or every time you upgrade your Firefox, you have to contact Mozilla or you have to contact Google and say, like, can you upgrade my, it just happens automatically. This is not difficult stuff. Um, and there should really be no engagement. And one thing that I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek, but one thing that we're working on at the moment is, um, this is the, the ability to we'll be announcing it in the next in the next couple of weeks it's something that the broker should be able to push an atdl uh, the xml representation of the algo onto the traders pc directly and should be able to do that in a way that means that they can adjust the algo on the fly rather than having to go through a long period of testing and a long period of, um, of sort of uh, making sure that it's conformed etc it should that flexibility should be there for the client now there are downsides it's like the the client and the broker need to have a strong enough relationship that they understand that this is possible we don't want to be pushing something onto a trader's desktop and for him to go i didn't didn't want that didn't expect it but as long as we solve from a technology perspective the rest will sort itself out and the, the market will evolve with that what i don't want to do is have a process in place just because that we've never been asked something different i want us to innovate I want us to be able to say, do you know what? This is a problem that requires a person. Why does it require a person? 
And can we do anything to resolve it? Regardless of whether the current market norm is you involve a person and do this, like let's just create the technology to do it. It's not a, it's not a big lift for us to do that. Um, the other area that I feel like we there's a lot of innovation to come uh, and something that I'm personally very passionate about is getting broker information and venue information onto the client's desktop, onto the buy side desktop. So if you imagine what I was describing about user experience, we have FlexTrade on a client's desktop. So we see Symphony as like a transport layer where you've got the data coming. You, you can set up a chat room very, very quickly and easily with and you're encrypted and you can put structured data onto that chat room and pull data off the other side. So in the example of working with this uh, with this broker, they didn't want to have to go through. They had done the hard work of creating these alerts. That's the content. But the transport is has now been solved and is being solved on a daily basis by just saying, right, Broker, you have that data, you want to give it to the buy side, assuming the buy side wants to see it and understands the data and wants to interact with it. Um, just let's solve the technology side of things. Let's not make it into a, you need to set up a VPN, you need a six month conformance. Like these things are just slow. Let's just make it, it's, there are technologies available to make it seamless. Another good example is LiquidNet. We did, uh, I can actually talk about that because we, we announced it a few months ago now whether um, they had LiquidNet, um, LiquidNet had a, a set of alerts or a set of essentially like actionable IOIs, they were called ta targeted invitations, where they would send that data over, um, over, well, it was over fixed at the time, but they wanted the ability to show in the FlexTrade blotter a way that, uh, in a way that would allow the user to take the next step very, very easily. So you would get a targeted invitation, um, and then the next step, when you'd seen that that targeted invitation was shown, you would single click on it, or you could also automate it so you wouldn't need to click at all. But for, for the purposes of discussion, you have one click that then takes your order, automatically routes it out to LiquidNet, matches with that liquidity, and you're done. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, reducing that number of deterministic actions by the user. So deterministic meaning anything where the trader isn't adding their own value or adding their own judgment, they should be minimized to literally just a judgmental call. So I'm saying, literally, you're you're driving a ship saying, I want to go this way or that way. I don't care about exactly how it works. I just, or the, the steps behind that the, the take place, the button clicks, etc. It should just be judgment calls that a trader is making. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think this is this is fundamentally, this is a fascinating area for me. And it, it, there's, there's so much that, um, that is common sense about what you're talking about. And, and the financial industry has been you know, um, behind in some of its user-centric, uh, you know, sort of focus, I, I think, for, for a number of years compared to other areas, as you say. You mentioned before, this technology is out there and being used in other, in other fields. Uh, and it's not tremendously difficult technical challenges that we're, that, that we're dealing with. And the big thing I've seen, particularly over the last two years, is how, uh, you know, the, the fastest growing and the best companies are really putting the customer at the heart of the, of the problems that are being solved. So it isn't as technology has been for many, many years, you know, super, super clever, overcomplicated stuff. This is this is looking at the end user problems and saying, how do we solve them with the best and easiest uh, solutions for the people who are, who are driving, you know, driving that ship at this at the, at this, at the side of it. And I think that's been a been a fundamental change that we're seeing. And exactly what you're talking about. Where where do you think, yeah, you know, out, out of the industry, where do you think some of the lessons are to be had? Um, Which industries think, are getting that absolutely right? I mean, the industry sort of sad to say, but advertising. <laughs> Um, yeah. I know it's 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 one of those things that um, I sometimes say in meetings, and I'm not sure whether it's uh, it, it get, has the right reaction or the the wrong reaction. But if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, and that's a lesson that needs to be learned in financial services for sure. And it's it's well known in advertising. You know, 
if you're on Facebook, if you're on Google, you don't pay for it, you are the product. It's this concept, I think, um, of, of the billing model in financial services really needs to change. Like to me, there is technology that needs to be paid for. And to me, if I was in the, the seat of a trader and the seat of an investment manager, I'd be thinking, um, I want to make sure that this is a piece of technology that is saving me money and making my trading way more efficient and may, improving my alpha in the execution piece. Um, I want to pay money for that. It's like this, that that's okay. Like I'm embracing a technology cost, especially in alternative asset classes like fixed income um, is, is really important and something that I think the technology is starting to get there where um, like people are starting to embrace the fact that actually you need to uh, pay for these kind of these kind of systems. Um, but where where systems have got this really right, um, or where technology providers have got this really right, is focusing on one thing and doing it really really well. There is an explosion yeah. in fintech for sure. Um, I think we've been saying this for as long as uh, as long as we've been around. Is just there's the um, there's a number of firms, uh, smaller technology firms that are building up very small bits of uh, code or very small bits of product that solve one thing extremely well. But the key thing is, going back to your point about procurement processes, procurement processes don't favor small technology firms. They favor large technology firms or um, the old adage of no one ever got fired for choosing Microsoft is, mm. is quite apparent here. And you've got large firms that are going through very rigorous RFP process, very rigorous procurement process, which I don't disagree with. They obviously have to check their boxes, but they need to have some almost, um, there needs to be some ability for uh, these smaller firms that, are, as I said, are doing one thing extremely, extremely well uh, to compete or to to not have to um, not not potentially go through these processes, but to understand like how they can get on the trader's desktop more easily. There has definitely been a focus um, in the last few years, and, and I would say almost over lockdown as well, a focus on proof of concepts, which I love because if ever there's a time to show you that I know what I'm doing and I can do exactly what you want, that's a time to to uh, to shine. And typically at the start of a proof of concept, I will always say, what's the most difficult problem you have to solve? And mm -hmm. let me solve that because I don't, I, I'm confident I can do everything else, but what's the, what is the problem that you can't solve with any other vendor? Um, mm -hmm. Or what is the vision for your, your future trading desk? So um, I kind of, uh, I've not really give a, given a massively coherent answer to that, but my key thing would be um, not, not stifling innovation, embracing innovation, embracing new FinTech vendors and not accepting just a kind of, uh, basic solution from your existing provider because they happen to have one um, and actually saying well what value is that product adding and making sure that you understand the competitive landscape and the things like interop are being solved or uh, I would almost argue are be, ha have been solved already so you shouldn't have to worry about how does that system integrate with the other there shouldn't be any fear of saying well you know one vendor saying well we don't know how it will work with that system or we can't guarantee it will work that system nonsense like it's technology i have slightly ironic saying internally it's just ones and zeros like this stuff is not complex it's very well trodden in in other industries um not even high-tech industries people have got this this right better than, than financial services a lot of the re resistance has been business orientated or business driven or commercially driven rather than saying these things should talk to each other there's no reason why not and that's, again, coming back to my principles, uh, leading this business is trying to make sure that if there is automation to be had, regardless of whether the market market needs that right now, let's solve the problem because I guarantee those things will be appreciated with time. Um, and again, coming back to the number of times we're minimizing the amount of human interaction with, with any kind of process and making sure that from a trader perspective, he's always, or they are always put first, meaning that 
they are always they're never having to worry about oh i have to go through 10 clicks to get to this or 30 clicks to get to that or i have to go to another system it's like these things should be accessible through apis and it should be just judgment calls that are made you can bet completely that facebook rationalizes down the number of buttons you need to go through actually i was watching a better example i was watching a program on amazon the other day mm. where they've rationalized that buy button down to the optimal way of interacting of buying that that um that that item there is investment you need to invest in your user you need to understand what their desires are yeah how they're interacting with the the information and what they actually want to achieve um it, it brings me on to one, one topic that i really enjoyed the the fintech uh interview that you did a, a while back about um, the new, with John Butler about the new blotter and like he, he's been very vocal on changing the way blotters are presented. I've been passionate about this for years, but I don't understand what the solution is, because if you talk to a user about how they want data presented, the general answer is just like Excel or just like a grid. But we must <laughs> be able to be to do better than that. It's like saying yeah. just because it's been a grid your whole life and everyone thinks of data as a grid. It doesn't have to be like that. You look at any of the applications that you have on your phone, they're not a grid style application where you have to click through various different cells. It's way more complex and way more in tune with the user and way more easy to navigate. And um, so I, I feel like the market is kind of evolving into a way where if vendors understand that, that it's okay not to own the desktop real estate and actually it's better for the user to have the right experience, then it will, it will allow the user experience to then sort of go exponentially better because you'll be focusing on what the user wants rather than saying oh well, that doesn't quite work with my back end or that doesn't quite work with my technology it's just saying well how do you want this to work do you want some kind of minority report style augmented reality which as a side note we not we launched in trade tech 2017 an augmented reality headset where you could play with orders and like move them around obviously no one's going to use it but um <laughs> the, the key thing is thinking of new ways and not just waiting for the client to ask for it you need to understand the client's requirements but also join the dots between various pieces and see yeah. what you actually want to do for the future because there's no point in just just doing um what you're told you have to actually come up with innovations and try and push the push the future push push the future agenda yourself as well this is the classic sort of henry ford uh, quote isn't it about uh, if i asked the people what they want they just said faster horses <laughs> and yeah uh, and i think that's uh, that's exactly what you're talking about and and, and, and i love it i'm i'm uh, unashamedly fascinated by the uh, by, by the client uh, focus of Amazon, of Google, of Netflix companies that I've been reading books on all year. Um, just to have a look at that sort of thing. Google, you mentioned about how many you know the optimum number of words they have on their on their page um, and how they've narrowed it down over time to uh, you know when, when you go to their homepage, just how few words they yeah. physically have, have on there. And I think the whole the whole thing there is abs uh, you know absolutely as you rightly say just designed there to um to make it that you know that journey as easy as possible and i think there's 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 steps being made all the time in financial services to to look at that and think about that and say look we're here to optimize our clients opportunities to make more, make better decisions make more yeah. money do things. It's, it's not for them it's not for us to try and push our way of thinking or our technology or what happens to be our technology stack be it java.net whatever it's not up to us to say this is how you must trade it's like how do you trade yeah. and let us design the system around you and that's the i feel the key yeah. benefit of something like flex trade is you never you should never have a button click that isn't a hundred percent necessary and that's yeah. what we're trying to focus on is like all the calls should be judgment calls and the data should be presented in a way that's natural to the user but as i said yeah. it's it's it is quite tricky getting to the heart of what is natural to a user that has literally been using the same structured grid approach 
for their entire lives. Um, <laughs> it's difficult to break them out of that. But uh, I think it will come with time. It's just as consumer technology modernizes even faster, um, it will. So, like people are starting to wake up to the fact, like, why is my phone amazing, and my trading technology looks like it's from the 1980s? Like that's yeah. not okay. Um, yeah. And I think with a new breed of like more savvy technologists and things, that will um, that will definitely uh, that will that will only get uh, more apparent. Yeah, there's, there's a definite shift in the guard. Listen, Andy, there, there is so much that I want to dive into about this, and, and this is one of those uh, those you know, those episodes where I think this is definitely uh, a round two that we're going to need to uh, follow up in. Because I want to talk to you. I know you've been getting a lot of uh, questions around um, and, and opportunities around automation on desk and getting that sort of stuff right. And we, you know, we're sort of running out of time to be able to talk you know talk through all of that. I want to talk about your journey because I'm fascinated as well about. Um, you know that evolution of tech through to you know through to, you know, through to the to boardroom, which doesn't happen all the time. And I think there's a load that people can learn from, you know, people there and, and how they can you know see that sort of journey happen. And I'd love to talk through that in in more detail as well. So this is definitely something with which I'm which I'm finishing with a to be continued on it. But uh, um, I've, I've massively enjoyed this, and I think there's some great insight that you've uh, you've shared, and I really appreciate it from it. I know there's going to be people as well who've got questions that they're going to want to raise and follow up with you as I have on, on all of this too. What's the best way of them getting in touch with you and who should be reaching out to you right now? Uh, just drop me an email on andrew.mahoney at flextrade.com or ping me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to, to discuss. I'm, I'm, as I hope I uh, didn't rattle on too much, but I am super passionate about this stuff. I'm a technologist that happened to end up in this industry and I just strongly feel like there's, there's improvements to be made. And I think passion is the only thing that can, uh, change that because I appreciate that not everything is super easy. There's other reasons, business, commercial, etc. But we should be at heart trying to improve the technology for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and look, I, there's absolutely no rattling on for me on that. I thought it was. Uh, I love. I love talking. I've always loved talking to people who are passionate about what they're you know, what they're talking about. And uh, that just absolutely oozed out from you just then about uh, you know something which you which you clearly love doing. And and uh, yeah, there's no surprise that, that we've seen that sort of meteoric rise in your career and the company alongside that as well. So congratulations. <laughs> Listen, it's been wonderful talking to you. I really appreciate all the time. No problem. Fantastic. Thank you all for watching. Cool. And we'll see you soon on another episode of FinTech Focus TV. Thanks a lot, everyone. Cheers.